Hello, and welcome back to Fearless Questions, where we follow our questions to freedom. I'm your host, Jeff Blackburn, and today we are so lucky to welcome in our friend, Addie Zierman. Addie, how are you doing today? I'm great, thank you. Well, Addie, let me just tell people a little about you. So, um, I don't know, if, I never know what the, you have an MFA, I think, in writing. I never know if I, that bears a title or, you know, <laughs> no. master well, of writing. Um, yeah, I have master. Okay. <laughs> well, but you've, you're the author of two books, um, at least that I know of. Um, when We Were on Fire uh, came out in 2013, A Memoir of Consuming Faith, Tangled Love, and Starting Over, um, which was a big success. It was named one of the best books of 2013. And then more recently, uh, your book, Night Driving, A Story of Faith in the Dark. Um, both are amazing books. Um, but you're published all over. You write all over the interwebs. Um, you speak quite a bit. You, your blog, I think, said um, that you are still a Jesus freak or something of that nature. But um, <laughs> or or you still have all the language from being a Jesus freak at some point. Um, look, all these you you have all these things. You got uh, how to talk evangelical became addiezierman.com. But you're sort of this like. Is it safe to say like a recovered evangelical or is that, is that uh, offensive? Yeah, I think that's safe to say. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, look, Addie, just as we sort of um, introduce you and your story to folks, um, we'll touch on a number of different things, but I think it would be really good for them. Maybe if we just spend a little time, if you're willing, and sort of paint the picture of your background, um, sort of your faith background. And uh, because I do think it would be important for people to kind of just see where you're coming from. So would you, I know it's a broad intro question, but you know, just from the time of two months to 30 years would be great. <laughs> Wherever you feel sure. like you want to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I grew up in the Chicago suburbs. My parents actually met at the church that I grew up in. They were in a Bible study and, you know, went out for pie and the rest <laughs> is history. So, um, I belonged to this church before I was even born or a thought in the world. And so I grew up there and it became um, a haven for me. My mom um, became involved in children's ministry there. So much of my early childhood was spent at church and it was really lovely in a lot of ways. And then um, junior high hit and I was sort of an awkward kid. I uh, was shy and quiet, wasn't really into sports, wasn't really good at um, typical teen stuff, but I figured out that I was really good at Jesus. <laughs> I was really good at doing the church thing. And so that's kind of where I found my place. Some kids had, you know, drama, some kids had football, I had youth group. <laughs> you know, it was yeah. my life, it was session. And I think, um, Part of that was um, part of that was I was just drawn to that, and I still continue to be drawn to faith and questions and the unseen. But part of it was um, when I was coming of age in the in the early nineties, mid nineties, um, the evangelical culture was very, um, at least the evangelical youth culture was very about being on fire for God and being all in and being you know, consumed by your faith. And so um, the more you did for God and the more you uh, went to church and the more you witnessed to your friends and the more Jesus t-shirts you wore, yeah, uh, 
the more God loved you. Did you have a favorite? Did you have a favorite Jesus T-shirt, by the way? I had a shirt with um, all of these fish on it, and all the fish were really, really scary, like <laughs> okay. monster-looking fish. Okay. And then there was this one white Igthus Jesus fish okay. swimming against the current, and it said "Go against the flow." I really thought that was super cool. Very nice. So you were changing the culture with that. Yeah, yeah, I totally. Was. <laughs> uh, so when you're talking about this, like everybody's all in, it sounds like you. I mean, first of all, it sounds like you were varsity youth group, so that's good. I love that. That's exactly it. Okay, but um, it sounds like you are describing a bit of a um, sort of an and I don't know if antagonistic is the right word, but there's sort of definitely an us and them. Like you're in the youth group world. And if you're trying to fight the good fight against the evil in the world, does that sound about right? Yes, definitely. It was very much um, us against them. I think there was a real um, concern and fear that, you know, this was also focused on the family had just kind of come into its heyday. And there was a big fear about kids making the wrong friends and making the wrong choices. And so the message I got was, your real friends are your, the Christians. The rest of the people are your projects. No, and no. Uh, you can invite them to ministries, but, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Don't get too close is the message I got from that. Yeah. And what was the, how, when you started getting into the, like, really, I don't know if the, I don't, I, mean, I guess you say names in the book. I mean, like the teen mania thing doesn't exist anymore. So when you, <laughs> how, how old were you when you started jumping into that scene? Um, I was a freshman. I met, there was this older, dreamy older guy in my youth group, um, who I call Chris in my books. And he, uh, had just gone on a missions trip with them. So I kind of got involved with them through him and, um, because he thought they were so great. I thought they were so great. And, uh, we took our Bible, our, um, respective school Bible study groups to their acquire the fire conference. And I went on a mission trip with them eventually. And so, um, what it was, was basically just a weekend conference where, um, they made you feel all the feelings about God and about your faith and big push for, um, not dating for courtship, big push for missions. Um, I remember specifically one of the conferences was, it was right after Columbine had happened, the Columbine shooting. And apparently one of the girls who was killed in the, in the massacre was signed up to go on a teen mania trip. And so the whole thing was like, who's going to take her place? She gave her life for the Lord. Who's going to take her place? Yeah. Wow. Oh, looking yeah. back, it just makes me feel gross. So, so manipulative and, and I don't know. Mm. So you, but you did go on these things and was that just sort of uh, I know that um, somewhere in, I imagine it was probably the first book. Um, I think you even talked about like, there was like these three or four steps that you just walk through. Like when you go on these trips, it's like, we're going to, this is, do you remember what the steps were? Maybe you, you were varsity. I don't know if I was ever really varsity youth group. <laughs> I was JV probably. <laughs> Um, Mike, can you say more about that? Well, I think it was, no, I was just trying, I, I, if it's fine, if you don't remember, it was something where you were like, okay, we're supposed to say we had a root, a step-by-step thing. Like this is who I used to be. Oh yes. The testimony. That's what you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. 
your three-minute testimony, the story of how you came to Christ should have a clear before, a clear moment of transition, and a very clear after where everything is not perfect. Of course, never perfect, but you know, pretty, pretty close. Pretty dang close, yeah. Well, that, yeah. I think the reason that stuck out to me is that um, throughout throughout your book, and and really both books, I suppose, um, you sort of talk about. It, it felt like. Uh, sort of a description of where it was, where you were being told this is what faith is, where it's like, it used to be, things used to be bad. Then I became a Christian and now things are good, not perfect, but pretty much mm-hmm. as good as they can be. And then as you start to go along, um, suddenly you can't seem to avoid the fact that life isn't as perfect as you're trying to tell other people it is. And, um, was there any place along the way that that specifically started to show up for you where you started to notice it may not be as, as good as you were thinking it was? Yeah. I mean, there were little things along the way in high school that I didn't really pay attention to at the time. I mean, I tend to believe that God is always showing you things, but often only in retrospect, do you see what was happening? And um, for me in particular, it was, I went to a Christian college and I was so excited to go to this Christian college because I had spent the last four years of high school just really fighting for my faith and witnessing. And I just felt really tired and really, um, really excited to just be around people who love Jesus and who would love me. Um, part of the reason I think I got so involved in the youth group right away in junior high was that where I felt, um, isolated and um, not quite fitting in at school. Um, They just took me in and they just loved me and they accepted me and I was somebody there. And I expected Christian college to feel the same, but it didn't. Hmm. Um, And I think part of it was that here we all were, all the um, varsity Christians from our old schools and who was going to start, you know, who got to be the varsity college team. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. I'm not really, sports, but um, so it became really hard to find my place. And I was so tired still just from all that um, fighting for my faith in high school. And I just yeah. didn't have it in me to fight for a new place. And so I s- started kind of shrinking back a little bit. And um, around that time I got, I was, a writing major, and I had an amazing professor who started introducing us to the mystics. That's where I discovered Frederick Buechner and Henry Nouwen, and just people who thought about faith in more nuanced ways. Mm-hmm. And um, she was very fond of taking the little um, performance-driven evangelicals under her wing and just helping them through their <laughs> inevitable breakdown. Uh, <laughs> well, so, one of them. That's so nice of her. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, one of the things that um, one of the things that people um, have all seemed to love about your writing that have, have followed you um, has been your ability to be really, really descriptive about your experiences. Um, I mean, I can put you on the spot just like, hey, do you remember this one thing? But when you do your writing, you're really an amazing gift of taking one scene and you just take us out to the edges of each scene and um it's very, it's effortless. And you're like, wow, she's describing something that so many of us have experienced. Um, 
but I, you know, no, you're welcome. It's, it's great reading. I hope people get your stuff. But, um, what I wondered is when, what was your experience when you, you know, when you had somebody taking you under their wing, but you start asking those questions about your own faith, um, you experience things so clearly. I'm wondering, did things still feel as clear when you started asking your own questions and sort of where did that leave you? Um, you came up in this church where you're, you know, born into this like tight community. Um, what, what did that start to feel like for you when, when the questions started? Um, well, you know, they started in college a little bit. Um, and, but, you know, I had Judy, my professor, I had, um, I still had some really close friends. I I met my husband there. I was kind of blissed out on new love. So all that was kind of offsetting, you know, or, pro, you know, not prolonging, but like putting off, you know, the inevitable total crisis. But um, right after we graduated, my husband and I moved to China for a year and um, we didn't know anybody. We were in a team of Americans, but they were all from an extremely conservative homeschool situation. Um, and, and that wasn't, I that was wasn't so like a, sorry, that wasn't, um, this wasn't like an acquire the fire type thing. This was just, you guys were teaching English or something, right? Yeah. Yeah. Andrew was an, um, international business and it was part of his, I don't know. Okay. His but you ended up with these was to go. We ended up with these Christians probably because we came from a Christian college and I don't know how it all happened. Um, but you know, I, I, I was, I was so lonely. I think I was starting to, um, experience, uh, depression in earnest for the first time. I think it always had a little hint of it in me, but it just kind of crack came crashing down on me. I was, um, I didn't speak any of the language, so I felt, totally cut off from everything. I was used to being independent and I couldn't be independent. I was used to, um, you know, and at the same time, I, I just felt like I totally lost whatever connection I had with God and he was not showing up and he was not speaking to me. And I, I just felt like I had been totally abandoned by everybody. Hmm. Um, I, for, well, I want to be, there's two questions I have about this, but um, first is I, I know you kind of described some of this in your book, but just for our listeners, like once that um, that real sort of like lost feeling disconnection from God, um, how many years would you have said till you started to feel um, reconnected in any way? How much time do you think passed? Let's see. I'm just doing the math in my head. I would say I like three or four years. Yeah. And what, what was that journey? When you guys came back, you guys were, I mean, that was that sort of a wandering time. And when I say wander, I don't mean wandering away, but wandering, trying to find home. Yeah. You know, we, part of, part of me in China, I thought, okay, if I can just get back home, if I can just get get back to church, if I can just get back into a group, mm-hmm. then I'll be okay. And so we came back and we got an apartment and we started visiting all these churches. But it was like these tight, closed loops and we couldn't get in. And I was, I don't think I'd ever stopped being tired. Um, mm-hmm. 
from back from high school. You know, I just don't think I ever had. And so I just, you know, they always say, you know, when you want to get involved in a church, you need to plug in. And we tried, we joined youth group staffs and we joined all the things. I went to a Beth Moore Bible study and (laughs) it just was like nothing was happening and nobody was asking anything real about me. And so I started to kind of shrivel and we, we found a house church and we thought, okay, this might be it because, you know, it's a smaller group where they're dedicated to community. They're, um, it's, it's in people's homes. Certainly they'll see me there. And I think that was the most heartbreaking thing when they didn't see me, Hmm. when I couldn't, when I couldn't be honest there, I just thought, well, I guess, you know, I guess I'm too far gone, you know, and, and so then things really fell apart, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. uh, so. I'm interested by that because I think there's a lot of, um, I've heard voices on both sides of this conversation where especially people that are still, maybe they've never stepped away from that um, faith community that they grew up in, um, where that demand of just, hey, well, if that you know, if Addie would have just tried to be more open, people would have been there to commute, to connect with her. And there's other people that are saying, no, I was there trying. And there's people out there, I'm sure listening that are saying, you know, Hey, I feel like they don't see me. I'm wondering, um, I'm asking you cause you're so good at, there's no pressure, but you're so good at describing what it was like for you. How did you get the sense that you weren't being seen? Was there actual practical moments or was it just a gut instinct that you, you know, did not feel really truly seen by people um i mean there were there were you know i i was in just such a dark place during that youth group time and i would just show up and we would be in the kitchen getting food and i would be very quiet and nobody would ask you okay like it was like nobody I don't know. And maybe I was so, maybe I was already so far there by the time we even joined the house church that they just thought that's how I was, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, or, or maybe, you know, I don't know what they thought, but they certainly did not. There, there was just, there was no really space for it. There, they, and I, part of it is they were trying to figure out how to be a house church, how to, they were very focused on reproducing and, you know, so a lot of it was their own focus and a lot of it was that I didn't, know how to communicate what was going on with me I you know I think depression in particular is this sort of gray fuzzy space and it robs you of language and it robs you of the ability to name what is happening with you and so I couldn't articulate it but I think if somebody asked and sat and listened I might have gotten to there you know eventually yeah well and and you started to touch on this issue of depression earlier and um I wonder if if you'd be willing to to talk a little bit more about that if you're if that's okay. Um, you know, one of the things I mean, you certainly you share about that in both your books, um, but particularly the night driving one. Um, uh, you know, I wonder what your experience has been, and maybe I'm jumping ahead, but when when it comes to talking about depression, um, you know, you were describing something where you were experiencing it, feeling it, but no one, you don't know how to articulate it exactly. Other people don't notice when you, was there a point where you did start talking about it um, more um, publicly? And 
what was your experience? Cause I know there's probably, you know, plenty of folks that are like, well, I'm, I know what that feels like, but it doesn't seem like it would actually be helpful for people to say it, you know? So I was wondering what your experience was when you, what got to the point where you publicly talk about it. And then did you feel like that helped or was that, did that make it worse or, or whichever? Yeah. Um, well, I didn't, I mean, growing up in the evangelical church and especially in the nineties, depression wasn't something we really talked about or thought could happen to somebody who had Jesus, at least in my corner of the faith. And so it never was anything on my radar. I just thought a, you know, depressed was a way you felt if something bad happened and then you moved on and, um, depression, I, I didn't really know, but, um, around the time of that house church, I, um, things kind of really shattered for me and I, I almost had an affair and, um, my husband found out, thank God. And, um, uh, we ended up in therapy and then I ended up in individual therapy and then she named it. And she said to me, I think that you are so down in this that we can't even start with talk therapy until you get on some medicine. Hmm. And then I went to the doctor and he drew this picture for me on the back of his prescription pad hmm. about, um, he was, he drew like all of these neurons and the way they fire and misfire. And it, it was like, somebody was saying, it's not because you're a bad Christian. It's because something is, you know, malfunctioning (laughs) you know something is not working supposed to something is not working and it's not your fault and um it was so it was so freeing to um I think even more than you know and I've been on different types of medication but even more than the medication to just name it and um begin to understand it and then um only in doing that could I begin to sort of work my way out of it slowly with the help of this therapist and with, and with the medication and with some friends. So, Hmm. so as you begin to, so it sounds like the doctor, well, the therapist and her kindness and the doctor and their kindness, um, showed you, uh, like maybe explain things to you and started to show you a way forward. Um, I wonder how people around you, uh, were received it is it something you kept to yourself or is it something that you did share with people? I mean, obviously Andrew was probably exposed to what was going on, but um, is this something that you walked through with your other friends and, or church people or whatever you were trying to fit in? And Yeah, we, um, by that time we had left the house church. It was, it had become kind of a toxic thing with our marriage. And um, so we, we kind of just stepped back from church altogether. And so he knew about it. And um, my friend, best friends from high school, who had sort of been in the whole thing with me knew about it and my parents knew. Um, but other than that, I didn't really have anybody else to tell. <laughs> tell. You know, I, I felt so I still, we still had, didn't have really a community and um, uh, around that time we moved, we, we found a house and we moved and we ended up in this church and um, it was like totally not the right church for us, but it was okay for the time. And it was a safe landing place. And we found some people there and I began to learn how to tell my story. And um, then during that time also, I, um, well, I guess I totally forgot this piece during the time that all of the 
meltdown stuff was happening. Mm -hmm. I had enrolled in to get my MFA at Hamlin University. And so uh, at that time, the program requirement to graduate was to write a full length manuscript and I was there for memoir. And so at the time when I was most not knowing how to talk about my faith, not wanting to talk about my faith, not wanting to be anywhere near God, I was trying to write memoir and I had grown up totally immersed in the evangelical world. So I could not write my story without writing into these questions. And so even though I wasn't really talking about it, I was doing all this writing about it. And um, that led to that book. The first book was my uh, master's thesis. And um, Hmm. as as I began to journey towards publication with that, they they encouraged me to start the blog. And so I did, and I continued to write. And um, as I I shared that story in pieces, I think um, it was so helpful to see that um, I was nowhere as alone as I thought I was. And in telling my truth and in telling my story, lots of different people started sharing theirs too. And it was um, so encouraging to me and so um, freeing to know that, you know, this was, this was not just me. This was like so much of us who grew up in this culture were now coming out of it being like, okay, I was taught that it was all about feeling God and I don't feel God. And I thought it was all about performing and I'm, I can't do it anymore. And, you know, and so I don't know, it's, it's been, um, and I I belong to a wonderful church now and I have a personal community that's been, um, so good for me, but I think that online community space was where I, um, began to really climb out of, um, kind of some of that spiritual despair that I was feeling. Hmm. Um, this is sort of a side note, but I'm just wondering as a guy, um, you know, I first heard about you through my wife, Jody, and, um, she had a friend, you know, somewhere in Canada that was talking to her about it when we were in England. And then we came back to the States and her and a friend in England were sharing their experiences in your book. sort your first book, really, they basically walked through that and it was therapy for them, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and you talk about when you started to share stuff online, these other people, it was, you weren't alone as you, as you thought you were. Um, have there been guys that have resonated with your work too? Has it been, has it been more for women or is, because some of your work resonates with me, but I, I have not heard as many guys talking and there may be, but I was wondering what your experience was. Yeah. My audience is definitely more female, but I don't know why. I mean, I feel like it was happening to the guys too. And so I, I don't know. Um, I mean, I have, I have heard from lots of men and guys who have uh, resonated and, um, okay. Well, I just didn't know. I just, I just, yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, no, I just wondered because my sense is that there's plenty of, like you said, I mean, the guys were growing up in the Christian soldier army, just like, just like yeah. the, uh, the gals were. And yet, um, you know, I don't hear, it's like, I sometimes hear from a few, um, you know, well-positioned people that have sort of publicly walked it out, but there doesn't seem to be near as much, um, uh, safety. And I'm, that may not be reality, but it's just my perception. Um, yeah. I, I think you're perceiving that too. I'm, I think you're perceiving that accurately. I, I don't know that the conversations are happening as much. Yeah. Well, um, you know, we can come back to that. We might come back to that in a second, but, um, we started to touch on your, on your night driving book. Um, I mentioned Jody here about your first one. And, um, I think her friend back in the UK 
messaged her and said, oh, I think Addie is going to take a road trip. Of course, we didn't know the the story behind it at the time, except that you were going on a road trip. And so, yeah, Jody and you connect somehow and you guys got to see each other when you came through Indianapolis. And apologies, by the way, because you read it in the book, but everybody that lives in Indianapolis knows it. But you come through Indiana in the winter and the only thing there to welcome you is these awful billboards like, <laughs> hell is real. <laughs> God says, read your Bible. Um, so just, I don't know who puts those things up or the 10 commandment people, thou shall not, but I, someone knows who it is. I don't know, but I apologize for the state of Indiana on that. Um, it's all over. It was all over the road trip. So. Okay. Well, tell, tell people a little bit. Of- are. You, I can't see people sitting in traffic going, oh my gosh, they're right. Hell is real. I better, I better call that number quick. Like, I just feel like, what? I don't know. Yeah. There's, that's a whole nother conversation, but, um, yeah. uh, you know, but you, you start on this trip, maybe just tell folks the premise of that book, because I feel like winter is, I mean, we had this great fall and winter just like sort of suddenly showed up here. Um, you know, what was the premise for taking this trip? I mean, because you basically threw your boys in the in the van and decided you're going south, right? Yep. Um, yeah, I actually, I did not set out to write a book about this. This was just sort of a desperate, it was the year of the polar vortex. So, mm. like, it was unbelievably cold. I live in Minnesota, and it was so cold. I just thought I was going to die. And um, my kids were four and two at the time, and... Like we were just stir crazy and cranky. And um, at the same time, you know, I had gotten to this point where um, I had named the depression. I had worked, I'd done so much work on my faith baggage. I had been um, like just really uh, hardcore confronting the stuff in my life that was, uh, had tied me up in knots. And still the depression was persisting and I didn't, understand that. I think there's part of me that still thought I could work myself out of it. Um, mm. Not maybe in the way that I used to think I could work myself out of it, but certainly um, through being mindful and being, I don't know, honest and just all these different things I was trying and it wasn't working. And um, I just felt myself getting kind of pulled back into um, needing to feel something and going in the wrong directions to feel it. You know, I, I was drinking a lot. I was, um, you know, just, I was either, um, trying to create emotional, or I was trying to like lift myself out of the depression or I was just beijing out, was watching a lot of TV. I just felt like mm-hmm. something was wrong and something needed to change. And I thought, what the hell is the point of being a stay at home mom? If you can't just leave it for Florida in the winter. <laughs> so I did, I threw the kids in the car and, packed a whole bunch of tote bags and I put a PSA out to my readers and said, can we stay with anybody? And so (laughs) just went down to Florida and stayed with a lot of strangers. And, um, I, I was never, I was actually working on a book about faith and home and I was just not coming together and I was working on it even while on this trip. And it wasn't until several months later, um, that I realized all the things I was trying to say, um, were things that I was wrestling with on the trip and fit into the structure of this, of this week, two weeks of driving and looking for light and looking to feel warm and not ever really getting it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that was a really, um, it was a hard, it was a hard truth to kind of, um, to listen to at first, you know, like you, 
it's so exciting, like sort of like a traditional movie theme where it's like, you know what, I'm going to make a change and come on kids, we're going south. But, (laughs) but you make it all the way to the beach and you talk about, um, I mean, like just let people know what it was like when you got there. It was raining. (laughs) It rained all weekend. You know, we had a few bits of sunshine, but it was, it was cold and it was, it was still winter. It was still dark for me. It was, it was not, you know, the light at the tunnel at the end of the tunnel that I thought it was. And, you know, I, another thing about growing up in, in the evangelical youth culture is that um, every time your faith started to kind of, you know, dwindle down, become mundane, become less than on fire, you'd go on a trip or you'd go on a conference or you'd go on a retreat, right? It was like a, you know, that was the rhythm of the, so you never had to settle all the way into, okay, this is hard. This is not, this is, I am discontent and God is not fixing it. You never had to settle all the way into that because you could, you know, go to the beach with your youth group and hand out traps and, um, you know, or you could go to Ecuador and build, I don't know, houses or I don't know. You could always get to another mountaintop really quickly. Mm. And so I think I was a little bit trying to recreate that Mm. and it just can't, it can't be created. I, I don't think, I think that's a false, it's a false way of moving through these seasons is to try to, make them shorter or make them, I don't know, escape. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Escape or sort of detach from the reality of what's going on. Um, mm-hmm. which maybe is, it sounds like you learned that pattern in, in the youth group days. Um, yeah. so no, it makes no wonder then that, uh, we exercise that trying to find what's available. And maybe Netflix was the only thing available. <laughs> um, yeah. cause there's not many like, uh, parents of young kids, uh, retreats going on these days. No, <laughs> um, you know, but you kind of talked um, as hard as that was to um, there is a harshness. There's a there's a first there's a bit of a heaviness. It's like, well, we have to acknowledge the hard parts of what's going on here. There's no escaping this. And yet you you seem to sort of turn a corner with it um, where I think you talked about it became more of the. um I'm going to forget the phrase you, but some sort of the, with your art, it became the, the, um, the backdrop. What's the, um, the white space maybe? The, or yeah. The-, the white space or the, the white space that shows up what the other, the good stuff is like right. it showed the contrast or something to the good stuff. And, yeah. yeah. Um, what was, I mean, what did you take away? I mean, what, if you, if someone was listening to that and they're saying, Hey, yeah, there's a lot of heaviness going on, but I'm and I'm trying to avoid this. Why why would you encourage somebody to lean into it? Like what's on the other side? Not that it's going to go away, but you know, why would they keep leaning into it? Mm-hmm. Um That's a great question. <laughs> um I think that I just, I guess I don't really know how to answer that. That's okay. Let me just, That's let me okay. just formulate a thought. <laughs> That's okay. I mean, I guess my first response was you lean into it because you have to, you know, because to do anything else would be um, to move away from your heart and to move away from um, reality and um, to live um, 
kind of a half life, I think. And, um, I just, I, I began to, as we, as we came back up the coast and, um, towards Minnesota, I, I found myself thinking a lot about the seasons and about, um, just the way that we need them all. And, um, I read in my, as I was writing this book that if trees aren't allowed to go dormant, they'll die. They need that time. They need that space of just, you know, shutting down and, um, dying a little bit and then they come back and then they're, and they flourish. But if, if you try to like artificially keep them alive, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. They, they're not made to do that and we're not made to do that. And I, I think if you keep trying to artificially create these feelings of springtime and summer and I'm so happy and praise Jesus. And, um, then your faith eventually just becomes a shell or it becomes not real or you give up altogether because it, it depends on those times too. Mm. So it's almost like, uh, there's a rhythm to life. Um, you don't want to strip the fields of their ability to, to actually be healthy moving forward. Um, right. Yeah. Well, that's helpful because I, you know, there is that, you know, there's so many folks that are like, they feel that they can feel the heaviness and they're right on that precipice of, do I, do I keep walking forward? I feel like there's not no one else going, going forward into this with me. And the only option seems to be to try and escape. And so it's like, but the, so it does seem important for them to know why going in is important. And, um, yeah. is worthwhile, you know, and if it means this is where my truest life and my deepest life is going to be available to me, then it's worth doing, you know. I I absolutely think it is. Well, Addie, um, you know, there's so many, you know, I keep asking, <laughs> I'm asking you all these questions. One of the things I like <laughs> to ask other people is what are the questions you wish people were asking? I mean, as somebody who's, um, you know, walked through all this, this, uh, evangelical faith experience and you've walked through with depression and um you just do you're doing life in the soda um (laughs) you know what are the questions (laughs) what are the questions that you wish more people were asking these days um well honestly um i think people are starting to ask some really great questions the one thing that i wish people would ask and it's not i guess it's a question i guess it's more of an invitation i wish people would ask each other over for dinner. (laughs) I wish at church, if you saw, when people saw somebody new or when the people wanted to connect, they would just invite. I think, um, I guess I think that's kind of the key to this whole thing. Like I think we can't create these communities that we so desperately want if we're waiting for somebody to do it for us. And um, I think if you recognize in yourself that you are in a strong place and you're healthy place, then it's up to you to be inviting always and um, inviting people into your life and inviting people into your story and um, sharing authentically who you are and what you've been through. And I, and, and then you'll be in a season sometime again where you don't have the energy for that. And hopefully somebody will be inviting you so that we're never so isolated we're never so alone in this Hmm. that's what i wish people would ask no that's good and um i usually don't ask follow-up questions after that but it begs the question for me is (laughs) you're somebody that really put yourself out there 
I mean, you took a real chance by sharing your so deeply your experiences with faith, with life, with relationships. Um, do you ever regret it or was there, was it worth it? Um, you know, I mean, what was, what would you say to that? Like for your own experience, what was that? Um, do you ever regret sharing so much or the costs outweighed the benefits? I mean, or whichever costs benefits stuff. Yeah, I don't, I don't regret sharing so much, but there are cases where I regret sharing too soon. Um, you know, with, um, with my first book, when we were on fire, I worked on it for many years. I was in my MFA working on it, and then I got an agent and did another draft, and then I got a different agent and did another draft. And in the meantime, I was doing all this work on my um, blog and in my own heart. And so by the time it came out, I felt like I totally owned that part of my life. Okay. Um, with night driving, I was on a deadline, and I, I had a book deal, and I had to get it done. And so I felt like I, w I, I wasn't fully owning it for I gave it away. And that felt really hard. Hmm. And I, I regret that. I regret that I, uh, it, I hadn't really integrated it yet into my life. And so I, I always think we err on the side of authenticity over hiding. Hmm. Uh, do think that there are ways to just be responsible to our soul, um, in the process. So, so it sort of invited more people into your stuff before you had fully gotten comfortable there. You got comfortable there. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, I retract all questions about night driving then at this point. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's been a few years. I'm good at night. I'm good at night driving now, but. Oh, yeah. uh, well, Addie, um, it's been so good to talk with you. I know that um, I don't know the web address. I'll, I'll look up here. It might just be ask Addie, but you, you have Addie Zierman.com. I know we can, we'll direct people to, but um, you do a column. You answer questions sometimes, right? Yes, I do. In fact, I'm working on one today. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. No. So if people have questions, um, you know, they can email into that. We'll put the, the link in the show notes. Um, yeah, off the page. Off the, the page. Okay. And then okay. I write a column there. Ask Addie. So. Yeah, but it's great. Like, so when you people have these like very personal, real questions and they get your very personal responses and it's really cool to watch and listen to. So, um, enjoy it. Yeah. Addie, thank you so much. I do hope that people will pick up your, your books. I hope that, uh, the winter is mild this year in Minnesota and I uh, <laughs> uh, hope you and the boys have a great winter and, um, hopefully we'll get a chance to talk to you soon. Okay. That would be great. Thanks, Jeff. <laughs>